old enough like we are, you begin to realize just about every winter that comes along, you start getting a little bit of a cold or this or that or the other that you didn't have earlier. It's uh, quite normal, although it can be uh, quite exasperating after a while. You like to stay healthy. Uh, so, last week we talked about the book of uh, Ecclesiastes. And for those that are uh, just coming on with us this morning, maybe on the, the video or whatever, um, you may not have been with us last week, and we're going to review just briefly that. And I told you we were going to look at the book of Judges this morning, and we're going to do that, but not as I intended originally, because as a week went along, the Lord brought something to my mind that's still in that area, but has a little bit different tone to it that I think is very important. And so I kind of, through the leading of the Spirit, modified what I would have said this morning. Of course, you didn't know what I was going to say, so it wouldn't make any difference, right? But it does make a difference that we want to follow the leading of the Spirit. All too often we go our own way. And if you're going to speak on God's behalf, we need to speak what God wants us to say. So that's kind of where I'm at. And as we looked last week, one of the last things we looked at, turn with me to the book of um, Judges. Um, we're going to look, be looking at the last verse I read to you last week in preparation for looking at the book of Judges because we were in the book of Ecclesiastes. And um, we, we said, uh, oh, Judges, in case you want to know, it's Judges 21-25, the last verse of the, of the book of Judges. And uh, I read that to you, and as I read that, the reason I kind of had, I think the Spirit kind of changed my mind about what to talk about is later on in the week and Wednesday, the men met, and we had a discussion about why uh, church membership is so important and why people don't think it's important anymore. Why does the world, and the United States in particular, people that are around us, think that church really doesn't matter? And the men were giving some answers. All of them were real good. But after they spoke a while, we kind of went on to the next subject matter, the next part of the subject that Pastor was talking about. A thought came to my mind, and I thought, you know, we really didn't hit why we don't go to church anymore. We didn't really hit what the core problem was, what the root problem was. And that's what started my mind to thinking and changing the way I was thinking about how I was going to approach this today. I've said to you before that meditation is extremely important. We kind of overlook meditation. It's sort of like we kind of overlook discipleship when it comes to one of the important things that the church is responsible for. And the church is us, remember, individuals. It's not, it's not this building, the edifice. It's not, it's not the grounds. It's us. And a lot of times people get, people get saved, and um, they're with us for a year or two, and all of a sudden, or three years or so, and then they, they, they drift off. You don't see them anymore. You go visit them. You ask them what's going on. They, oh, well, this, oil, that. And I began to realize in our lifetime, me and my wife, because we've been discipling for a long time now, uh, that they, they flounder because they don't know what God's Word says. And as a result of that, they don't see how serious it is to know what it is to go to church. Because one of the places you will learn is in church, of course. Only one problem with that, when you stop and think about it, you're not in church very long. Think about how many hours a week that's... Now, now, some of you are very faithful. The ones I see right now, the ones I see every day in church, all the different meetings, praise God, that's what we should be doing. 
And God says, don't forsake the gathering of the saints together. And that's what we need to do. But some people don't realize, like we do, how important that is. And to hear three or four hours of preaching or teaching is nowhere near enough to get through life. You know, we need to know how to navigate the treacherous waters that are out there. And the only way we can do that is by the roadmap, by the navigation that God has given us, and that's through the Word. And then allowing the Spirit to work within us to help us to understand so that what God wants in us is in us through the Spirit and through the Word, and it comes out in us and we distribute it to other people, discipling, uh, giving forth the gospel, things like that. And, and all too often, um, we think once we get saved, we have that golden ticket. You know, Willy Wonka, we have the golden ticket, we have arrived, we're going to go to heaven, we don't need to do any more. That is as far from the truth as you can be. And sure, we're saved. Praise God for that. And believe me, I'm totally thankful and you should be as well. It's a miracle that we've received Christ, that the Spirit worked with us and we realized that we needed the Lord. Not everybody sees that. Some of them because we're not telling them, we're not showing them, and others because they just choose to refuse. But it's a great miracle in our life to do that. And we need to be sharing that with others. And in order to be able to share, we need to understand what the Word says about them. You know, there was a group of people back in the 70s and, and early 80s. Uh, I, I don't hear about them too much anymore. My, my wife probably remembers what I'm talking about. And he used to call them the, the Jesus-only people. It's kind of during the, the hippie movement type thing. And their, their philosophy was, and it was a philosophy, it's not in God's Word, that they, they knew who Jesus was, and Jesus is a, is a God of the New Testament. They didn't even know anything about the Old Testament. And I'd say to you, that they were so wrong in saying that. How would you know if you had the right Jesus? As you look at the prophecy that God says, it shows who Jesus truly is. Scripture, even in the New Testament, says, beware of false prophets, of false Jesus. There's many Jesus, many people that claim to be Messiah out there that are not. And the only way we're going to know the true Messiah is to know the Word. So it's very important that we look at both the Old and the New Testament, and that's one reason why I brought up these two books that I'm teaching on this last week and this week, Ecclesiastes. We said last week, Ecclesiastes. How many like Ecclesiastes? Whose favorite book is Ecclesiastes? No hands went up. It didn't surprise me one bit. I, don't, I didn't even like Ecclesiastes. I don't like, I don't like the, uh, the genealogies. It seems boring to us, doesn't it? But you know, the thing is, it's important. How do we know that Christ is truly the Messiah when God says we need to check the genealogy to see if Christ is truly the one that is here? It, there's a purpose. There's always a reason and purpose that God puts something in His Word. It's not just there to decorations like we see the lights in the room today and stuff. It's there for a reason. We need to learn from it. And even though it would seem boring to us, humanly speaking, spiritually speaking, it should not. And well, I think we have a tendency to try to divide secularism or worldly living from spiritual living. And for those that are born again as believers, there is no separation. They are the same. They come together. And spiritual things become the most important things to us. Worldly things become secondary. Why? Because God says he's going to take care of us. We don't need to worry about those things. He talks about the lilies. Well, they don't have to worry about anything. Or the birds. And I have to worry about the food they eat. God takes care of them. Now, I have to be careful when I say that because somebody's going to go, oh, yeah, because sometimes we want a lot more than God thinks we need. He knows what we need far better than we do.
The world's thinking is totally opposed and opposite of what God thinks. And we need to understand that in order to be able to understand what we're reading and, and, and looking at in God's Word. So in Ecclesiastes, when he says, vanity, vanity, remember, we finally concluded. He comes to the end, and what does he say? In conclusion, he says two things. Fear God and know the Scriptures. We, does, does the world today fear God? The people in the United States today fear God? Do, do even some believers who claim they're believers fear God? Not hardly. The fear of God, Scripture says, is a starting of wisdom. If we fear God, we'll fear God enough to get into the Scriptures and start searching them out to know what's going on. And then Scripture says, if we know God, we don't have to fear God. Now, isn't that amazing? We're to fear Him to understand who He is and find out what's going on. But once we know who He is, we don't have to fear Him. Why? Because He's one of His children, and if we're being obedient, there's no reason to fear. I used to have a, a, a real thing about death. Um, my mother died, as for those that ever heard my, my testimony, when I was nine. And of course, a nine-year-old, that's, that's a shocking thing for them. And uh, I made a statement. I remember making it at nine years old. How am I going to ever live with my, without my mom? Well, you know, God took over from there. I didn't get saved until I was 12, but it put me on a path of thinking about death. And then I kind of feared death even after that because, you know, I, I'm the type of person, my wife would tell you, I don't like going somewhere new. I don't like new stuff. I feel very comfortable where I'm at and what I'm doing. And we've traveled a lot now in the last 30 years of our life. We've been overseas many, many times. I hated going in planes. I've since come to the fact that I know God's in control. And if the plane goes down, it's my time to go. And maybe I won't be one that dies when it goes down. Who knows? But now you know what I kind of fear more than anything? I fear standing before the Lord and the judgment he's going to bring against me about what I've done with my life as a believer. Now you look at me and you go, oh, no, he's only going to judge the world. No, he judges us, too. That's what the Bema said judgment's all about. What we did within the spirit, not within ourselves, but within the spirit. All that hay, wood, and stubble gets burned up. With the hay, wood, and stubble represents what we did in ourselves, our own flesh. And the jewels and the precious stones that remain in the gold and the silver, that's what we did in the power of the spirit. And so it's very important that we get our lives arranged in such a way that we're following Scripture and being led by the Spirit and not by our own whims and wants. That's what the world does. That's what Ecclesiastes is all about. We said that King Solomon was, if anybody was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, it was him. He had all the money in the world, all the money in the world, literally. He had power. He was the greatest person on the earth at that time when he was ruling for those 40 years that he reigned. No one else was greater than he was. He had everything. He asked for wisdom. God gave it to him. Remember I said there was a certain specific type of wisdom. He didn't ask for general all-around wisdom as God is omnipotent. God probably wouldn't have gave him that, by the way, I don't think. But he asked for wisdom how to rule over the people rightly, knowing good from evil. He did that quite well. How about his own personal life? What did he do there? He didn't do too many things very good. That's why at the end of Ecclesiastes he said, all I've done is in vain. It's worthless. It has no value whatsoever. It has no purpose. My life is just drained. And I have nothing to show for it. Because he lived for himself. Scripture said we're supposed to have one wife. How many wives did he have, did we say, last week? 
700 and 300 concubines. Now, I, when I say this, my wife knows I'm saying in tongue and cheek, cheek. If I have trouble living with one woman, how in the world am I going to have to live with a thousand of them? And she could say the same about me. She has trouble living with one husband. How is she going to live with a thousand men? It's difficult enough as it is. But you remember, he made alliances and he brought in foreign women. Most of his wives were not from Israel. They were not Jewish women. God forbid them to marry outside the Jewish faith. Why? Because what do those women do? What began to happen in Israel? They brought in their idols. And, and then he began to, to set up different places around to satisfy his wives so they could worship in the, in the idolatry worship they had at home to make them feel comfortable. Well, I want to tell you, I'd rather feel uncomfortable and know I'm doing what's right before the Lord than be doing something uncomfortable. I, I, I just don't understand why we think that way. And I do that myself. So it's not like I'm saying oh, I don't think that way. I, I do too. You know, it's really funny. Every once in a while I say you have to look in the mirror and, and look at yourself. Now, I'm, I'm talking about a little mirror. If you're shaving, you could do that. <clears throat> Pardon me, I've done that. I'm talking about the inner spiritual mirror that God gives you. The reflection that God says you're supposed to examine yourself and know what's going on in your life. And every once in a while, and my wife would tell you this, I have to look in the mirror and say to myself, Stephen Dean, what are you doing? What an idiot. You, you know, I know sometimes I use the word idiot when I'm preaching and teaching and the word stupid and dumb. I'm the same way. We are. When it comes down to knowing truth, we're as dumb as a rock usually. If we don't follow the word of God and if we don't allow the Spirit to lead us. And Solomon didn't do that. So his whole life was wasted is what he was saying. And then we said at the end of this one in, 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 in Judges, I asked you to uh, Move there, and I, I didn't do it myself, but I have it written down. I'll read it from my paperwork. It says in Judges 21 25, in those days there was no king in Israel, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And as we came to that Wednesday night meeting, and Pastor Dean asked, Why don't we think church is important? Why don't we think membership is important? Uh, there are all kinds of answers given, they're all good, but I think they were supplemental to the core reason. And I want to speak to that core reason today, which goes along with the book of Judges. What does the book of Judges show? It shows a vicious cycle of reoccurring things, doesn't it? And in, and in uh, the commentary that, uh, that McGee writes in, his books he's written, he, he gives it what he calls a, the cycle of history. He calls it hoop history. And you say, what does that mean? Let me just read what they are. I probably should have made this up, but I didn't want to plagiarize, but I will tell you what he says here. He says, a nation serving God's at the top of the, the, the circle that he gives. And the zero's going around, heading right back to the nation that serves God. Then he says, they did evil. Then they forsake God. Then they followed their own way, pleasure. Then they were sold into slavery, depression, and war. They were not happy about being slaves, were they? Then they were actually in slavery for many years. Servitude. Then he said they cried out to God. Then they turned to God. Then they repented. Then God raised a judge to bring deliverance. And then what happened? And then they go right back and they did evil. And it goes right around the hoop again. And believe it or not, we're still in that hoop. We're still in that circle today. It's modern times, and you say, well, this is modern times. Man's done so much to make everything so much better. What man's done is left God out, just like Solomon did when he made all those decisions of being king. 
He left everything out, and then he comes to the, the place in his life where he says it's just all vain. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's worthless. It means nothing. And we're hopeless without God. We still not have learned that truth. And that's what the book of Judges is trying to show us. So let me ask you another thing. Remember last week I gave, and Richard's not here, bless his heart. Richard came up last week afterwards, he put his arm around me and said, you know, I, I, really, I really thought that was right when, it, when he gave the answer. I kind of made fun of him. I didn't mean to put him down. That was my point. I just, no, you're wrong. I'm going to tell you what's right. Because that's what we think as human beings. That's our first reaction is to analyze it in our own mind and decide what is right and wrong. Danger, danger. Remember Will Robertson is lost in space? Danger, danger, that robot used to say. That's very dangerous. We need to see what God says about it. And so I said to you, I, I gave you this thing where I said, uh, let, me, let me suppose that I make a statement. Uh, God's, uh, the book of, is, uh, the Bible is full of lies. Well, right away, what do we think? Oh, God doesn't lie. Th that can't be right. And then I said, no, you're wrong. The, the book is, the Bible is full of lies. And I, I mentioned a bunch of lies. It records everything. It records everything. And it record, that's what inspiration is. God had the men write it down as the Spirit led them. They recorded history as it is. It doesn't mean that God agrees with everything that's in there. He just recorded it for us. It's all inspired. So as we look at the book of Judges, we see all these things going on again, and we see a lot of bad things happening. That doesn't mean God's happy with it. God was not happy with what Solomon did. God was not happy with what David did with Bathsheba, for example. And God uses those experiences to teach us something. The scripture tells us that the word of God is there for our examples. These things that happen are our examples. I used to tell my kids, sons, and I had three sons, as you know, don't follow my example unless it's good. Now, I'm not trying to say when I do bad, just ignore it and it's okay, I can do bad. And that's not what I'm saying. I mess up too. I sin too. And when I sin, look at that and say, we're not doing that. My dad's going to confess that sin. My dad's going to tell me when, when he's been wrong, us and et cetera. He's going to change his life and, and he, he wants me to learn the same thing. That's what the whole thing is. So as we look at this today, I want to give you another thing I want to say to you. Going back to this verse in Judges, where it talks about that men did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king. Don't look at the second part of that verse, although it's important, obviously. Doing right in their own eyes is important to realize that it's wrong. But I want you to look at the first part of that verse. And I want to ask you a question. Is there anything in that verse that you see that jumps out to you in the first part of that verse? Any kind of red flags go up. What I'm trying to do, by the way, is teach us to analyze the Bible through the power of the Spirit. And don't just look at it through our own eyes as individuals and as, as, um, as worldly people, but to look through the, the Scriptures with the eyes of Christ and the eyes of the Spirit and what He wants to see. Remember, we said last week, the Spirit is the one who interprets Scripture for us. We cannot interpret Scripture properly without the Spirit. Only believers can interpret uh, prophecy in, which in, in God's Word. Why? Because they're the only ones that have the Spirit. He lives within us. He doesn't live within the world. They don't get the Spirit unless they get saved. So when somebody comes to you and says, I, I know what God's Word says, and you talk to them, you find out they're not saved, and they start expounding about what they think about the Bible, what can you assume automatically right away? They don't know what they're talking about because they don't know the right interpretation of it. And even though they may get something right, they don't know the totality of what truth is. Matter of fact, man teaches today, you don't need truth. Why? It's a moving target. 
It's relative. Truth is what I think it is. That's what they say to right now today. That's what they're thinking it. Only man can determine what's good for man. That's what they'll tell you. And that's where our world is at today. We completely thrown God out of everything. Now, I spoke for a few minutes because I wanted to see if anybody thought of it. Anybody dare to guess? Now, Richard, I, I bless his heart. I put his arm around him. And uh, yeah, we're, we're looking at Sheila. Sheila, what do you say? No, I, I just want to know what verse. Yeah. We're, lo we're looking at, we're looking at uh, Book of Judges, the very last one, uh, ch chapter 20, five, 21, 21, 25. Okay, so, so, anybody, so did anybody come up with something? I, I'll tell you, I'm not afraid to. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's better. Dave? Well, I don't know. I don't know if this is what, I don't know if this is right, so I'm putting it out there. Good. You learn that way. We make mistakes, we learn from it. Well, you know, you said what in the first part of that uh, last um, point there. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Okay, what does that tell you? Well, it's kind of, it, it's like, oh, that's what it was in those days, but... I don't know, you know, how much is that related? You're absolutely on the right path. You kind of missed the mark I want to point out. You're very right. That's exactly right. But here's what it is. Was there a king there or wasn't there a king there? Yeah, very good. What does scripture say? He says, Jesus Christ is what? Lord of lords and king of kings. God is our king. They miss that completely. Because they threw God out, they said we need an earthly king because he's the one that's going to help us. Foolish thinking. Why? Because men are fallible. God's infallible. God is perfect. Everything he does is right and good and gracious to us. Why, why do we want to get rid of them? Think about the world today. They don't want God. Why? Because they think they're smarter than God. They think they know everything. You think I... I bit a little human nature and humankind and, and mankind itself. I'm part of mankind. If I'm belittling them, I'm doing it to myself because that's the way we think. We think we know everything. And I said last week, men are, man is very intelligent. I'm not trying to say he's stupid, doesn't know anything. What I'm saying is his intelligence is infinitely small compared to God's wisdom as in his, his intelligence. Why don't we go to the source that created all things. We said last week, for example, you know, man thinks he creates this, he creates that. I said he just takes what God's already created and he manipulates it. When, when man can make a sun or make a universe, then I'll start listening to him. And by the way, that's out of nothing. Not even a void as we understand what uh, uh, um, the book of Genesis says in the very beginning. There's nothing there. You say, well, there was space there was air we no it says void nothing and when you look at that word in hebrew it means that and we, we can't even comprehend a word like that there is nothing but god has always been always forever was forever will be forever is going to be god's always been there and always will be and yet we think we're smarter than god how do we think that the very god that made us we think we're smarter than him that's why going back to the book of Jeremiah, I think I said Isaiah last week, I was incorrect. It was the book of Jeremiah, I think, it, where it talks about the potter and the clay. It talks about the fact that God made us and he has a right to squish us and remake us if he wants to or get rid of us altogether. He's God. But we don't want to go by his program. We don't want to go by what his will is, what his plan for us. Remember that plan that he put in place for salvation? Jesus Christ was, was given out before we were even created, before the world was even created. God's been around forever. And I don't know how we think we can go back to forever and, and think we're smarter than somebody. 
just doesn't work. So as we look at the book of Judges and we talk about it, I look at this thing and when David said what he said, he's absolutely right. The key there is a king. They had a king. They got rid of the king. They quit serving God. And when we look in scripture and we think about things, he tells us, did not Moses give him a proclamation and commission him and say something just before he died? And what did he say? Don't forsake your Lord. Don't, don't go against his statutes, his commandments. Didn't, didn't uh, uh, hang on a second. Didn't uh, Joshua do the same thing as he was dying? Did he not commission him? Did he not say, don't fear God, don't forsake the statutes? That's what he said. How long was it before they started forsaking the statutes and quit living by what God said to live by? Not very long. We wonder why almost always the next generation seems to stumble and fall when the first generation of Christians does quite well. Because the first generation realizes that God has saved them out of damnation and hell, and they're willing to serve God because they know God is right. The second generation is kind of like a, when somebody buys a business. They, they come to this country, foreigners I'll use it because they're, they're the best at it. Or a lot of us come from somewhere, right? We're all immigrants, contrary to what the belief is today. And they come from somewhere. And they work hard because where they came from, they couldn't do that. They weren't allowed to. They'll work day and night, seven days a week, 12 hours a day. They live above their little business or store or whatever. They work their little heart out so that they can make a living for their family and everything. And then the, the parents get older, and what happens? They're going to pass the business on to the kids. A year or two later, sometimes the day after they die, what do the kids do? Go ahead. Don't be afraid to say it. They sell the business. Why do they sell the business? The narrow. The almighty dollar. The bucks. They want money. That's their God. That's where the world is today. Materialism. Science has replaced God. Oh, we know all about everything. Here's what science says. We don't need God. Wrong. It's amazing if you think of history, going back to that history, the hoop of history that Brother McGee talks about in his book. All the time that scientists were developing what they know, what did they have to say when they found out they were wrong about something they said was right before? Like, for example, the earth was flat. When God's scripture said that it's a sphere from way back when, God already told them it was round. Did they pay attention? No. They had to reinvent what science was, right? They had to say it was flat. They had to send somebody out in a ship. He went to the place wrong because he didn't even know how the world looked. And he thought he was in the in India. That's why they, they, they talk about the Americas the way they do. And, and he thought he was going to go to the place where there's spices and stuff. And he was wrong. He wasn't in the right place. He was in the Americas. And he discovered the world wasn't flat. Remember, you see those pictures when you're in high school and stuff and you're studying geography and world history and they show the world map and it, it just got like a waterfall, the water just going off the other world. And if a, they thought if a boat went too far, just go over the edge and never come back. That's science. Well, now somebody said, well, yeah, but they've changed. Well, sure they've changed because they found out they were wrong. Have you ever seen anything in God's word that's been wrong? I never have. I don't say that to be funny, facetious, be ignorant, and try to trick you. Go look for yourself. Go study. That's what I'm challenging you to do. Go know what God's word says. You don't find nothing in there that God says it didn't come true. It, and it's going to come true forever because he's God. He's the one that developed and designed everything. He said, this is the way it's going to be. 
No one else has the knowledge and power that he does. Satan thinks he does. Remember Satan? When he, when I think that is in the book of Isaiah, I think it's chapter 11, where he said, I will, the five I wills, I will be greater than God, I will this, I will that. God created him, and for some reason, in his own pride, he thought he could be greater and smarter than God. That's why God threw him out of heaven. That's why he came down to earth. Now he's trying to convince us as mankind that he's smarter than us and that we need to follow him and listen to him. Well, if God rejected him, should we take him in and accept him? I don't think so, but isn't that what we've done? He's one. And what's, what is his direction? Going back to the idea that David said about a king. Why do you think that they wanted a king? They didn't want God now, and he is a king. But they didn't want him. Well, why do you think they wanted a king? Who can just think for a second and give some little logic behind it? What is our government basically doing to us now? They basically allow us to do almost anything within reason. As long as they pay our taxes and shut up and don't say anything about them, they're free to let, you're free to do just about anything you want, right? Some governments aren't like that, obviously. But here's my point. They're looking at the kingship because they didn't have nations so much in those days, although Egypt was one close to them. But most of the things immediately in Israel were, were city-state, like they had in, in Greek uh, history. It's just a city. They had a king, and they ruled themselves, and nobody else bothered with them because if they did, they'd have war, and sometimes they'd lose and be uh, subject to be slaves to the other people that took over. But for the most, and the king more or less let them do what they want. As long as he got everything he wanted, he didn't care. Although they were peasants and slaves, basically, and serfs, they, they, they were allowed to do what they want. So we think in our mind that that's a good thing. Well, you know, I'm here to tell you, you can do whatever you want when you know the Lord. Now, if it's a bad thing, you're going to answer to God for it. If it's a good thing, you're going to live a very good life. Now, I didn't say that life is going to be perfect. I didn't say that you're going to have all the things you want, but God's going to give you everything. Turn over to the book of Joshua just for a second. Now, you notice in the bulletin this morning, if you looked already, and I usually do when I first come in, that Scott is remarking about quotations that he sees in Joshua as well. It's amazing. Now, my son had no idea what I was going to talk on. Pastor didn't. And uh, <clears throat> he used Joshua 1.9. Well, I want you to look at Joshua 1.8. Now, I'm sure this is very familiar scripture to you and that you probably heard it a thousand times, and I might be exaggerating, a hundred, many, multiple times. But do we really focus and concentrate on what it says? Do we let the Spirit illuminate stuff in our minds? Because that's his, that's his job, that's his ministry, illumination. Bringing things, uh, the revelations of God to our minds so we understand what God wants in our life. That's what illumination means. And notice he says something here that I really like when he talks about meditate. And it says there in, in verse 8 of Joshua chapter 1, This book is uh, of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate. Meditate means like, think about a cow. This is an example most given. It's a good one. They have cud, right? If you know anything about cows, they chew that cud. They get as much as they can. They swallow it. And pardon the expression because it sounds kind of vulgar, but they regurgitate it. And they might do that 10 or 12 times before they actually, and they have seven stomachs, they put it down in their stomachs, and then they use it for their body strength and et cetera, right? And that's what it kind of means. We need to, and, and what the Lord does to me, I used to get upset when I was younger, and then I realized it's a blessing. 
I saw my wife, we walk every day. I was telling her, except for Sunday sometimes we don't walk. I, I saw my wife, I said, I said, um, I said, you know, I used to get irritated when God would wake me up in the middle of night because I didn't get much sleep when I was younger. It wasn't like I couldn't sleep. I had insomnia. I, I was doing something all the time. And so I'd get two, three, four hours sleep a night. So when I went to bed at one or two o'clock in the morning, I had to get up and go to work at, be at work at seven. I got up around quarter to six. Sometimes I'd hit the snooze and get up at, you know, at uh, six o'clock. And, and, and I was pretty tired most of the time. And in the middle of the night, God would wake me up. And he'd have me start thinking about something, either what I said to somebody that might have been offensive or something I heard preach that affected me. And I'd start mulling that over in my mind. And I'd sit there for hours just going over and over again. And then I'd say, well, you know, and then the Spirit said, no, no, you kind of missed something. I kind of go over it again until I think, I think now. Notice I said, I think I finally got it right what God really wanted me to understand. That's what meditation is. That's how valuable it is. I... I think of these things, these illustrations I come up with, that's where they come up with them. I'm going to give you another one this morning here in a little while. Oh, wow, time flying. We're never going to get there. But anyway, we might get there. And, and I'm thinking, you know, I, God is so good to me to allow me to meditate so that I can understand what he really wants in my life. Don't be irritated. Be thankful that he wakes you up in the middle of light so you know what the truth is, so you can live your life in a godly way. That's what I claim I want to do. Isn't that what you want to do? So why do we get disturbed if God uses some method to show us the right way? Why do we get disturbed if somebody says, are you reading your Bible every day? If pastor was to say, how many people read the Bible every day this week? I wonder how many people raise their hand. And you say, well, can you live without bread every day? Well, you might live for a little while, but it won't last long. Can you live without water? Water's even shorter. No. Christ says, I'm the living water. God says, I'm the bread of life. He's speaking metaphorically and spiritually, but that's the truth. We can't live without him. We think we can. We try to, but we really can't. So as we look at this thing, and it goes on, it says, after meditation is there, uh, therein day and night, that's the meditation, that thou mightest observe to do according to all that is written therein. That is the Bible. You've got to observe to do all this. Every word in here is important. Every word God wants us to follow. All right? Uh, According to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt what? Make thy way prosperous. Now right away I can see flags going up in people's mind. Oh, we're going to be rich because the next word it uses is successful. We're going to have all the materialistic things we want in this world. God says we're going to be rich. That is not what it says. If you have good health, you're rich. If you have children that are good citizens that obey God's word, you're rich. If you have five people on your hand that would give their life for you, you're rich. Many people say, I'm your friend. When your money runs out, like the prodigal son, all of a sudden they evaporate, they disappear, they're gone. Only God stands by us. And those that really love the Lord, those are the only ones. We're rich because God says if we follow his thing, we'll be rich. But not in the way that man thinks. In the way that God thinks. That's what's so important. And I'm going to be 75 years old this February and tell you what, I'm still learning that. I'm as dumb as a rock sometimes. I say sometimes to you and myself, you're not going to learn what God wants by osmosis, by sleeping on this book. It's not just going to be absorbed in your mind. You have to study it. God says that in Timothy 3.16. Study to show thyself approved. There's a reason why he says that. Most of us just flippantly go, oh, I, well, you know, I'm really busy today. Now, it's true, me and my wife, we try to have a certain time when we have our devotion. Sometimes, because it's things beyond our control, 
time limits, going to the doctor or something, you know, either you need to get up early and do it, or you need to be guaranteed you do it at night before you go to bed. You need to have your quiet time. You need to have your special time with the Lord every day. That's where we learn. That's where the Spirit talks to us. So we look at this, we think about what Joshua 1.8 says, and it's very important to realize that we need to meditate on the things that God says and be obedient to them. Now, I want to I wanna say a couple things that are, I think, really necessary, but it seems like I'm picking on people and people don't like that. They like to have their ears tickled, Scripture says. They don't like to hear things that tip on their toes. Many people leave the church because they don't like what pastor's preaching. If he's preaching the truth to you, where else are you going to go and get the truth? You don't want the truth you wouldn't have left to begin with. You say, I'll go to another church. Are you searching for the truth? No, you're searching for somebody that's going to acknowledge you can do anything you want because that's what you want to do. A lot of pastors preach that way today. Why? It's all about the dinero. They don't want to lose membership. They think it's all about money. You know, God tells you if you don't want to tithe, that's fine. He said to give out of heart, not to give out of a heart of necessity, but out of a heart of love. That's what it's supposed to be. Because we love the Lord, we understand who he is. He could do this whole church thing without us giving money. He wants us to participate in his plan so that we are functional people that are, have purpose in life. And so when we look at this and we think about people going right and left down the road because they don't want to hear the truth, it's, it can be upsetting to a pastor, especially when you go to me and say, well, have I said whatever I've done to offend you or whatever? Sometimes they'll tell you, and most of the time it's very lame. Sometimes it's genuine. Well, what does, then what, what happens then? You go to Matthew... Uh, uh, 17, where he talks about how to bring somebody back into the fold. If pastor's wrong, he's going to be more than glad to acknowledge that if you can show him, and he's going to change it. I would. You should. Now, when I was younger, I might drag my feet a little bit, and my wife would tell you sometimes it takes me a while to get back to apologize, even today. But when you're wrong, you're wrong. We need to acknowledge that. So going back and looking at the things, judges, one of the reasons I just said what I said is because some people will say to you, well, I have extra biblical revelations. What does that mean? My wife knows what I'm talking about, but I'm not going to mention names or anything in particular because I, 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 I don't want to down people. That's not my point. But we were working with a young lady that was in the process of divorcing her husband. And my wife was talking to her. And uh, my wife was showing her in Scripture how God doesn't want us to be divorcing people. How he wants us to, to uh, stay together, to reconcile. Sometimes he says you need to part for a while, maybe to get your life straightened out and come back together. But you always need to come back together. Reconciliation is something God always wants to do, not only with God, to get right with God, but with mankind. If you're right with God vertically, you're going to be right with people on earth horizontally, as the saying goes. And here's what she finally said after my wife gave her several scriptures that she could not deny was the absolute truth because she claimed to be a born-again believer. She was raised in a fundamental church. She heard the truth, believe me. We didn't go to that church, but we've been there. We took our youth to that church several times to, for conferences when we were youth directors. And the guy preached there, he preached the word just as plain as could be. Here's what she said. But me and God are like this. I was over the phone. She had to explain what she meant by this, but this close. And God told me just me, it's a special revelation that I could divorce my husband. It was okay. What does scripture teach? Do not add one thing or take away one thing from the word and revelations. It's done. The canon of scripture is closed. Everything you need to know is there. When Christ was on the earth, he was a living word. 
He's still the living word, but he left this word so we have it in our hands to use for guidance to what we do in our life. And when he did that, no more scripture was going to be given because Christ went to heaven. So when somebody says that, what are they basically saying? Well, I don't want to listen to God. They say she is. She said, oh, I'm listening to God. I got, I got a special ear that God tells me things. How silly is that? Well, why does she do that? What's, what's human thinking behind that kind of reasoning? Self. Self. Me, myself, and I. I want to do what I want to do. I want to make myself happy. I can tell you today, she will tell you she's happy. We know her still. We know where she's at. We know what kind of life she leads. And she tells people, oh, I'm happy. She posts things on Facebook. Oh, the greatest thing in the world, this and that and the other. She's about as miserable as you can get. Well, what's the problem? We don't want to admit when we're wrong, do we? If you're going to get right with the Lord, you're going to have to give up your pride. If you're going to get right with the Lord, you're going to have to forget about the thinking of the world things. You're going to have to get down on your knees and beg God to forgive you and to get right. And the same thing is true when we fall. We need to fall on our knees, cry out to God and say, God, forgive me. And, and no matter how many times, we shouldn't keep doing it. I understand that. Romans chapter 6 says, you know, uh, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? And what does scripture say? God forbid. That's not why God gave you grace. That's not why we're not supposed to sin away grace. We're supposed to follow God's word and not, not fall. Now, God knows we do. That's why he gave us John 1.19 to confess this and get right again. We're humans. We're striving for perfection. Maybe that chart I gave you where it was an uphill climb. And we're looking to God all the time. And I showed you the little tiny area where it's up and down like a hilly thing. And I said, that's the ups and downs in life. We have them. But we still keep striding, looking to God. I told my wife yesterday while we're walking, we're talking about it. I said, you know, we just want to get where, where Paul says, I ran a good race. I finished the course. So when we step into heaven, God is going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. It's not easy. The spiritual life is not an easy life. And it's really hard if you're a really true born-again believer and only God knows who they are when you fall away from God and you say, I just can't do it. You know why they can't do it? They do it within themselves. They're trying to serve God themselves. It's no worse than the world saying, I raised myself up by my own bootstraps. I don't need Christ. I don't need him. Or a Christian saying, I raised myself up spiritually. I, I know, I understand. I don't really need to follow God any longer. How silly is that? So even here, as we look at the book of Judges, they, they, God raises up these men and one lady to get them out of a crisis each time. Notice the type of people that he raises up. They're weak. They're not very smart many times. You know, the disciples were even said in the book of Acts uh, through, the, through the Sanhedrin and, 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 the, and, the, and the Pharisees and stuff, these men are, seem to be extremely intelligent. It seems like they've been with Christ. Now, kind of, I'm paraphrasing, of course. The, the, the point is, is that they were amazed. They were fishermen and farmers, yet they were so smart when it came to spiritual matters. Yet they themselves didn't, didn't acknowledge that. Now, I want to show you something that's really important, too, while we're at it, because there's something I think is really important. Turn with me to the book of um, Acts for a second, chapter 1. Now, the book of Acts is a historical book that shows us how the church came about. How God went from the Old Testament economy, the way that he did things, to the New Testament economy and how he does things now. It was always by faith, wasn't it? 
It's always by believing. You believe Christ was coming in the Old Testament, you now know he's here and you believe on him for salvation. It's still belief, it's still faith. So when we look at the book of Acts, notice what the disciples said to him when Christ was getting ready to leave and ascend up into heaven. In verse 6 they say, this is Acts chapter 1, verse 6, when they were therefore, pardon me, when they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, they understand who he is, they know he's Lord and God, wilt thou at this time we restore again? That's a very important word. I don't know if you mark up your Bible. My Bible is marked all over the place. Uh, that's why I don't, you notice how tattered it's getting. I don't want to change it. I'm hoping I can make it through life with this Bible. I've had another one. To me to remark my Bible would be a nightmare. Some people believe it's sacrilegious. I don't think it is or I wouldn't do it. I want to know what God says and I want to remember it. And my mind is like yours. It forgets a lot of things. So I write things in there. So that word again is very important. They've already said, we know what the kingdom's like. What kingdom are they talking about? The kingdom that Solomon established where they rule the world. They're again looking for materialism. They're again looking to be in the power again. Notice what the Lord says to them. He says, again, the kingdom of Israel. Notice that he, they, they emphasize Israel. They're not talking about the Lord kingdom of heaven or Lord kingdom of, of God's uh, kingdom. They're talking about heaven. Now, the reason I point that out, I want you to turn to the book of Luke for a second. I think it's 17. I've got to look for my notes. Turn to Luke 17. I'm still looking. I'm going off the top of my head. I want to show. I'll, I'll go over there. I'm pretty sure it's Luke 17, and we'll find it real quick. Because I usually, as you notice, I don't, I don't follow my notes very closely. That's why when people say, can you give me your notes? I can give them to you, but you wouldn't be able to cipher them. Seriously. I, I'm all over the place. But turn with me to Luke for a second. 17. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Seventeen uh, verses twenty and twenty-one. When I learned this verse, it was very profound for me. I hope it is for you. Now the Pharisees are talking to Christ, and who are the Pharisees? Remember, we said last week when I gave you some some ways of interpreting Scripture. I said it's very important to know historically, culturally, who what what things are and who things are. The Pharisees, who were they? They were fanatics, basically, who wanted to keep God's word pure and perfect. But what had they done to it? What does scripture say they did? God says they would tithe even on the spices in their cabinets, a mint and a dill, but they would throw widows out of the houses because they couldn't pay their rent. And rather than show love to them because a woman couldn't make any money and tried to help her, maybe even by giving her work so she could pay away or whatever, they threw her out. What was important to them? Was it doing the Lord's work? Helping others? I'm sorry, I keep going back to it because it's true. It's a dinero. So when they ask Christ this question, we got to understand who these people are. Right now, they're in power. They and the Sanhedrin and the, and the um, high, uh, high priest, they're all in power. The church is not a church of love. That's why God went to the, the, the temple twice and drove out the money changers. It became a house of, of th thieves and a den for thieves, he says. It no longer was a house of worship. They've forgotten what it was to worship the king. Remember, I gave you a, a verse a few uh, months or so back where I said they gave them lip service, but they really didn't serve God. You can say all you want, you love the Lord and all that, but it doesn't really matter unless you really serve him. And notice it says, and when they had demanded, notice God himself, they're demanding something of them. They're talking to Christ. 
Of course, they didn't realize that. I understand that. But that's what they are. We, they demanded, uh, when they, and when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered and said, it to, uh, and said uh, the kingdom of God cometh without observation. In other words, you're not going to know when it's going to be there. But notice what he says in the next verse. This is the one that's dynamic. This is the one that's profound. It says, neither shall ye say, lo here or lo there. In other words, I see it over here, I see it over there. There's going to be a lot of Antichrist. Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, he's not talking about in being indwelled with the Spirit. He's talking about being surrounded by these men who are Pharisees. They're demanding of him when the kingdom is going to be. They're trying to trick him up. And he says, the kingdom stands before you. Who's he referring to? Who's talking? Christ is. He says, I am the kingdom. I am the king. And you're rejecting me. Listen to me. I have the answers. Do they? No. What do they end up doing? As he marches into Jerusalem on a donkey, which is a sign of royalty, as he said when Solomon kept horses because that's a sign of war, they praised him, singing Hosanna. King on high. What did they do a week later? They crucified him. They killed him. Because when he said what the kingdom was right then and there, and by the way, there's two different kingdoms that are being talked about in Scripture, they miss one, they caught the other one because the other one caught their eye. They misinterpret that kingdom itself, thinking that kingdom is going to be set up and they're going to be all in power again. We're going to be top dogs. We're going to make all kinds of money and we're going to be perfectly fine. No. That's not the way the spirit works. That's not the way spirituals works. Totally different. Materialism, things of this world are nothing. You're not going to take anything with you when you stand before God. And if you're part of the expression, you're going to be totally naked. You're not going to have any excuses. You're not going to tell God anything he doesn't already know. So you're not going to be able to lie to him. And he's going to ask you. You can day I reckon he's going to come. What did you do with your life? And you say, well, that's the world. No, remember, there's a beam seat judgment. We're judged as well. What did you do? What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with my word? What did you do with the people in the church that needed help? What did you do with your kids? Did you raise them right? And that's, that's, that's where we're going here when we look at this. The final thing I need to say, and we've got about five minutes, and we're going to go a little over, so hang on, is that we've missed the whole point of what God gives us. Turn to me with Deuteronomy, if you would. And when we had that Wednesday night, I said to you that something came to my mind that they clicked all of a sudden. That's why I went kind of past me for a minute, and I kind of interrupted and said, we need to go back and look at the basics here. In Deuteronomy 4, 1 through 9, you can look at that and write that down. We're not going to be able to read everything or we won't get through it. God talks about the fact that, that we are the example to the world and he expects certain things out of us. That's what he's telling them there in the book of Deuteronomy. That his people, the chosen ones of Israel, are supposed to be example of the world. Remember, the world came to Jerusalem to find out who God was. In Acts, when he says, you know, after he says, wait here, the kingdom, it doesn't matter. I want to give you an assignment. What did he say? He gave him the great commission. He said, wait till the spirit comes and then you can have the power to go out onto all the world and take forth the gospel. Now he's saying in the old economy, Old Testament, they came to Jerusalem to God. In the new economy, New Testament, they what? We, the believers, go out and tell others. That's our job. That's one of the only jobs we have. Are we doing that job? And then look at me with me just real quickly at, at Deuteronomy 5, 6 through 9. Because here's the results if we don't do this. And it's kind of a scary thing. It really is. So look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, 
and verse 6 through 9. And I'll read it for you real quickly. We're going to run out of time here. I am the Lord thy God, which had brought thee out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. I brought you out of slavery. I'm going to give you your own country. And there are certain things you need to do in order for me to bless you. Now, I'm reading that all in there, but if you read Scripture, that's what it tells you in the long run. Thou shalt have none other guard before thee. What was going on with the book of Judges? Everywhere you looked, there was the high places. What are the high places? Places where they worshipped idols. Or the groves. What were the groves? Places where they worshipped idols. At one point in time in history, they even had idols within the temple. God says, you're not going to have any of those. But he says, in verse 8, Thou shalt make, uh, not make thee any graven images or likeness of anything that is in heaven or above or, any, uh, or that is in the heaven beneath or that that is in the, uh, the waters beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to, unto them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God. He warns us, does he not? Now, jealousy is a bad thing sometimes, especially for humans. But with God, it's not. He said, I created you. I'm all powerful. And I'm jealous. It makes me mad that you want to serve some idle thing that can't, is not alive. It's dead. It can't give you anything. And it never has and it never will. I will and I have. And I will continue to do so. Listen to me. And then he goes on and said, uh, visiting the iniquity, the, the sin, of uh, the fathers uh, upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. The ones that have iniquity have sin. They hate God. What does God tell us in Genesis? We're an enemy with God, which means what? We're enemies. We're at war with God. As long as we're in the flesh, we don't take Christ as our Savior. We don't follow God. We're at war with him. We're against him. We're at opposite sides of the field. He said, that's what's going to happen. Now, what's, what's critical about that? Well, he said the third and fourth generation. It goes on. We're now in how many generations since he said this? Where the kids never learn. Now go, one last thing, go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the point I was trying to point out to the men the other day. It says there in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, let's start in verse 1 and go down through verse 9, and then we're going to be done. It says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord their God commanded you to teach. We're to teach those things, right? That ye uh, might do them in the land, whether uh, you go to possess it. In other words, the land that I'm going to give them, this is what they need to be doing. That thou mightest fear the Lord. What did Solomon say? Fear the Lord. What does Joshua say? Fear the Lord. What did Moses say? Fear the Lord. That's the starting of wisdom. Remember, that's what Scripture says. To fear the Lord, thy God. To keep all his statutes, all of them. Not part of them, not what ones you want. Pick and choose, cherry pick. Every one of them. And his commandments, which I command me, that uh, is thou and thy sons and thy sons' sons and all the days of their life and all the days uh, might be prolonged. In other words, he's saying you've got to teach it to your kids and their kids. You might think, well, Brother Dean, we're a lot older. I mean, we don't have any kids anymore. You don't? No, some of you, pardon me, I, I, I won't want to lose my kids, but I know a lot of you have probably lost your kids before you've died. But the point is, there's always kids. There's always grandkids you can influence. There's always kids in your neighborhood. Don't look at it like it's just, oh, now I'm done. I had my kids. I'm finished. No. You're going to keep giving out the gospel. That's part of the gospel. And I'm going to jump down because I, I, we need to finish here. And it says, And thou shalt love thy God, uh, thy Lord, thy God, with all thy heart, uh, with all thine 
with all thy soul and with all thy might. That's one of the great things that God's given us to do. Are we doing that? And then look, no, he says, then this is how you're going to do that love. This is how you're going to show God that you truly love him. And that thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shall talk to them when they sittest in thine house and when they walkest in the way and when they liest down and when they risest up. And thou shalt bind them in the signs in thy hand and thou shalt be a frontal between thy eyes. The Jews used to take a strap of leather and had a little other pouch. And they used to put scripture in there and put it on their forehead. And that's what they were memorizing and learning for that week or that day or whatever. That's basically what he said. Keep the word of God before your eyes. That's what's important. And then he goes on to say, and, that thou, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on the gates. He's basically covered everything. He says, no matter what you go or what you do, you need to be teaching your kids who God is and how to love them. Have we done that? Me and my wife tried, by the way, and I, I, I would say, humanly speaking now, notice what I said, I think we did a pretty good job. On the other hand, did we do everything possible that we probably could do? Probably not, because there was times that we weren't, we weren't, uh, we never didn't serve God, but we were probably in a funk when I was mad, when I was jealous, when I was doing something else, and they seen that. And that's why I used to tell them, don't pick out the bad things I do, learn from those just like I do. Pick out the good things. Well... We're out of time. I'd, I'd ask if there's any questions because I don't want to confuse you. My mind just works a little bit different than a lot of people's. I look at things totally different. I wonder how the church got to where they're at today. Now, I'm not super smart. I'm not trying to say I know everything. I'm not trying to say I've arrived. I have not. I'm learning every day just like you should be. But why, why is it that we keep doing the same things over and over again, that, that death cycle, you know, where we serve God, we get right with God, and we turn away from God. He proves himself over and over again. We just keep doing it. Let's stop doing that. And then let's me and you together. If this church is going to be salt and light to this community, if it's going to be a beacon, then you have to be a beacon. Quit hiding your light under a bushel. Open, get rid of that bushel. So it's shown in light through the world. Be salt and light. Let's pray. Lord, Father, I want to thank you for your word. And Lord, it's easy to speak, even for me, Lord. Not so easy to do. Help us have the power of the Spirit and the boldness, Lord to speak the truth to the world, to live the truth, to be an example, Lord, to teach our children, Lord, over and over again. Don't just say it once to them and then, oh, they've learned. They didn't learn. I didn't learn. Nobody learned. Got to be. That's why Scripture repeats saying so many times. We're so hard-headed, Lord. We're stiff-necked, as it says in the Old Testament. Lord, thank you for Christ, for the Word, for the power of the Spirit to engage us to know the truth, Lord. Thank you for your love, for our church, our pastor. Be with us as he speaks this morning. For this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.